Welcome to Issue 2 of the Smarter Bulletin Podcast. I'm Bevan Holloway. Makerspace is a big deal. There's lots of opportunity for schools to buy heaps of maker kit. There's the issue of time and space and how that's dealt with. And then there's also the issue of outcomes. You know, kids have to produce something. But what if it doesn't have to be that way exactly? That's what's interesting about Rob's maker story. Rob's maker work was done while he taught year 5 and 6 at Upper Nui School in Whakatane. I hope you enjoy what he has to say. Okay, so Rob, thanks for joining me on the, the issue 2 of the Smarter Bulletin podcast. I'm interested to hear your story about Makerspace and, and why. Um, it seems like Makerspace itself gets quite a lot of press and from what I've seen around the, around the place, there's lots of different ways to approach it. And I really like the story you've got to tell about why you approached Makerspace in the way you did. Um, so I thought we'd kick off with you just explaining why Makerspace, what drew you to it? Thanks, Ruben. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, why Makerspace? I think it started when I um, I moved from uh, Auckland school to a sort of Bay of Plenty small school where um, the the focus had been heavily on national standards and the school, I felt the well-being of the teachers and the students wasn't where it should be. I had like genuine concern for the senior students in the school uh, not having much creative outlet in their in their days at school, uh, the junior team had a really strong learning through play team, um, and then when the children got to about year three, it became serious learning time, and they had to sit down and and it was but it was very much more traditional. Uh, nothing wrong with the the way the school was going. It was just I felt like there was a gap there. I felt like the kids were missing out. Um, an opportunity to uh, create and be uh, a maker. And I guess I didn't really know much about maker culture when I got there, but there was a 3D printer kicking around in a cupboard and I I was bugging my principal for something to do more than just my role in the class and being a team leader. And I wanted more. I wanted, I, that's just how I am. I want to do lots of things and, so he said, oh, well, there's that 3D printer over there and um, here's an application for some grassroots funding. How about you fill it out and see what happens? So maybe you could figure out how to get this 3D printer happening and I think that'd be a good thing for you to focus on. Probably just getting me off his case a little bit. So I, I went off, took the 3D printer away and took the application, uh, got the funding. And the funding, uh, the way we worked it was it allowed me research time. So I was released, uh, I was really generous, one day a week to research and, and figure out what I was going to, and sort of come up with a plan of how I was going to integrate this 3D printer into the school. But of course, as I went down this track and had all this luxurious time out of the classroom to research, I found that a 3D printer was just a tiny speck in this whole maker movement that was happening around the world, most prominently in the States, uh, where there were whole schools um, dedicated to maker 
there was a school in New York, which was completely a maker school and people from all over the country were pulling their kids out and taking them there. And they had people like engineers and doctors working there instead of teachers because they wanted to educate kids in real world things. So went down this rabbit hole, uh, put a proposal together, decided, yep, this is definitely what we need. And my sort of vision was that I wanted it to be the lead on from play. So it had to have a sort of playfulness about it, it had to sort of follow some of those play philosophies um, and principles. Um, a lot of the maker spaces that I was researching were very much, you go in, you design, you follow a design brief and you make a product. Uh, and that wasn't what my vision was. My vision was very much about the process and about celebrating process. Um, and I hoped that it was a place where students could feel really comfortable and not be assessed and uh, celebrate and, and learn to celebrate that process. Um, so what I did was I got the funding through the board to um, hire a teacher aid type position person to support me getting this up and running. And a friend of mine jumped on from work as well, jumped on board. And so there was a little team of us and we went about resourcing this space and uh, we figured out that we could use the hall three days a week. Um, and it would have to be sort of a set up and pack down situation. Um, and in discussions with the leadership team, we sort of figured that it was there was, and they they realised that it was a real need, and they saw the value in it. And so we decided that all classes would, from years three to six, would rotate through the space for the first year, just to sort of get everyone used to it. So we set up a timetable, and um, yeah, I guess my the journey I went on was that um, I knew it was really just play but and the, the issue when the senior school was that the teachers didn't want to engage in any sort of play for their students so we wrapped it in a nice product called makerspace and set it up in the hall um, and because it had structure it, it had things like um, stations and it reminded them teachers would say it sort of reminded them of intermediate where they could go and do their electives you know their woodworking and their um, cooking, we had a cooking facility off to the side. Um, they felt comfort in that. But what you found in the makerspace after some time was that uh, teachers were saying to me that they felt so comfortable in the space because they didn't have to be ticking any boxes. They weren't assessing anyone. They were able to sit down and listen to their students and talk to them um, and find, and they said they found out things about them that they would have never found out if they had been doing what they had been doing in the class, which, as we all know, is just a sort of manic rat race where you're just trying to keep up with um, assessment and groupings and, and you know all sort you know we know that there's all sorts of barriers in there to you feel like you can't create those deep connections and I think coming alongside students when they're feeling really comfortable in that really safe space where they feel like they're not being told what to do. They have stations all around the room. They can work outside. They can work inside. They can work in the green screen. They can work with computer coding. They can be crafting. They can be hitting hammers on wood. Um, 
they felt like there wasn't any point where the students weren't engaged and the teachers weren't engaged. Um, and that ranged right from, you know, six-year-olds who had just come into year three right up to our 11, 12-year-olds who were in year six. So it was, it was, it was a successful start. Um, there were some, you know, hiccups along the way with people sort of using it as their couple of teachers dumped their kids there a couple of times and went off to do other things. And so there was all those sort of reminding about the values of our makerspace and how it works and, um, and that it's a place where you need to be with your students. And even though they're not ticking boxes, they still need to be there to be that sort of guide on the side, the mentor that supports them and does that sort of um, coaching, you know, that sort of um, coaching around the work they're doing that really, uh, careful questioning and um, spray and walk away, you know, that sort of, we just sort of prompt them to do something, but not not questioning them to the point where they feel um, uncomfortable or they're put on the spot or they're being assessed. So there was a lot of work we did around that with our staff, a lot of PD that I ran in the school around um, that sort of questioning the coaching model around and using that with students and and the teachers to sort of make sure that they understood that it wasn't a place for them to um, assess their kids. You know, it was a place for the kids to feel like they could explore. Um, and so coinciding with this, I applied to do the co-education e-fellowship and um, my colleague Bethan Kuhanui and I uh, got uh, granted that. And we, and she, she wanted to sort of learn more about Makerspace and come on, on that journey with me. And so we set out to look at the well-being of uh, students in the space and how that improved over time of them being exposed to maker culture and these uh, principles that we put in place in the space. So, um, and our other one, our other sort of action research question was around what pedagogies needed to be in place and, and, um, for the teachers to feel like it was a, um, it was okay for them to give up their classroom time. Like how, how did that have to, what was the change that had to happen in the, in the teacher's mind? Um, so yeah, I, I guess that sort of gave us even more uh, backup, you know, more evidence, uh, gave us more time to research and find out what was actually happening in the space and being exposed to other schools around the country that were doing um, things sort of similar, but we didn't really see anywhere that was quite like ours. We set out with the idea to make ours an Aotearoa sort of flavour. We wanted it to be really, um, you know, really focused on community connection and bringing in whānau and, and parents to share their knowledge and um, which I think people always find a little bit challenging in the traditional classroom setting because often parents feel quite uncomfortable coming into that highly structured model. They feel like they won't know what to do. But in the makerspace, it was a place where everyone felt comfortable. You could come in and you could just really just play with the kids. You didn't feel like you had to be doing something. Um, and so we had all sorts of parents coming in, doing harakiki weaving, making bag, boomerang bags for the supermarket, doing wellness workshops, hold order, um, all sorts of stuff. We had a parent doing coding and um, we had a parent that was really interested in the 3D printer, so came in and did workshops with the kids. Um, 
we had a robotics teacher from another school that offered to come in on her day off and run workshops for the kids. So it was a real, com we really wanted that community involvement. Um, and yeah. So I'm hearing straight away, like you brought up that example of the New York school, right? The makerspace one or the US example. And you said that that was staffed by doctors and engineers, etc. which when I think about that now, that means it's pretty much the point of it is to develop expertise in something so you can be a productive citizen, right? That's yeah. kind of the thinking, even though it might be a you know, creative approach to that. It's still slightly more product focused. And then I hear you talking about how you're making the community the focus of your context and the point of it is to develop the connections between people. And that was how you conceptualized it as being a uniquely Aotearoa makerspace yeah. environment. So it seems to me it's a highly relational approach to that idea of maker. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was definitely that that was the beauty that came out of it, you know, and I guess with all intention, you can't force relationships, you know, it was just something that happened. It was just something that um, the New Zealand, the, the way that we work in New Zealand and the way that we work in our schools um, hasn't been accessible. And then there was an accessible space for people to come in and feel really safe and comfortable. Uh, and I think that the teachers realised that they could be really themselves with the kids and show their passions and show their uh, vulnerabilities and, and their learning in the space. You know, we had teachers that had never done any sort of coding or working with 3D modelling and they were in there with the kids learning with them. And that was acceptable. They didn't have to be the fountain of all knowledge, you know. Um, so the it was a beautiful situation where the students could share their knowledge with the teachers. The teachers could be, te you know, helping with things like sewing, you know, which that, that was like, some of them were like, you know, some of these kids had never seen a sewing machine before. And, but then there were students that were teaching the teachers how to create an animation. And uh, so it was this beautiful relationship going backwards and forwards, this sort of sharing of knowledge, sharing of ideas, um, working together. Like I, I feel like you wouldn't get that so much in a traditional uh, classroom. Um, or in a product-focused makerspace either, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, you're the third person last week who's mentioned that word vulnerability mm. to me. Like the teacher needs to be vulnerable. Yeah. And what it's doing is just reinforcing the, the centrality of relationships in the learning process. And this is probably why it's no good for teachers to just drop the kids off, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, that was sort of, you know, we've all, in a lot of schools, there are places where, you know, their kids go to music class or they go to a drama specialist or something. And, and that's, I think that they, it was just a lack of understanding with that. You know, it was just like, they didn't quite get it. They just thought it was a bit of bonus time. And, and, and so it was just about re-educating them and getting them. And probably they, they weren't feeling vulnerable. They felt uncomfortable in that space. And so it was easier for them to just drop and go whereas um yeah i think yeah it was fascinating i mean the research that um we did and the data we collected around that we used uh story hui which is a sort of narrative assist and sort of narrative 
form of collecting data. And um, again, another tool where you can listen really deeply to people's stories. Uh, and I found out the most, you know, magical things through that data where I allowed myself the time, like I thought I allowed myself lots of time to listen to my students, but until you actually really allow yourself and, you know, they only get three or three to five minutes to talk and tell their story. But, you know, the little gems that we found coming out of their mouths, you know, things like um, I've got a maths brain and I've got a creative brain. And, and when I go to maker, I turn on my creative brain and, and, and my maker brain helps me with my reading you know like it's like they were making connections between these different places and, and uh and showing that they 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 felt joy you know one one boy said to me i've um i've never enjoyed school till i got to use the makerspace and i felt happy for the first time and this was a year four student who had been at school for three and a half years and that that was the sort of point which I was like, yeah, this, this is what we need in schools. This is this sort of environment where kids can feel safe and they can feel like whatever they want to make and create is celebrated, you know, and whether it fails or whether it's, they're just tinkering, that's okay. You know, and often you would go up to kids in the space and they'd be this amazing creation that had all sorts of, contraptions and they'd pulled apart a stereo and they'd found some old piping and they were hot gluing it all together and had feathers coming out of the top and you would say to them and you're you know sometimes I would just forget and say well what's that you know and my typical my trained teacher brain tell me more you know and they would say I don't know and it's so uh you know it, it takes you back because you're like well how, you know how do you not know but that's the beauty of it they would just be making they wouldn't even know what they were doing but they were so happy the sort of we would never have any behavior issues in there because everyone was engaged you know the kids would always find something to do and so someone's going to hear that story rob and say okay that kid's made something and they're happy great but they can't articulate what it is so how can you even go about identifying the learning? What's your response to that? I think that they might not be able to say what it is, but they could definitely artic articulate a story around it. You know, like there wouldn't be an occasion where uh, a child couldn't tell their story of, you know, even if it was, I did this and then I did this and then I did this, showing a process, you know, show, and then this didn't work, showing failure and learning from mistakes um, we've got our, you know, that's managing self, that's um, working with materials, you know, often working with symbols and text to create these creations, you know, that they're able to explain uh, the process they went through and, and they might not know what they're making, but they, they can definitely explain and, and it's our job as educators to find the learning in that, you know, if we're seeing that's not really their job, you know, it's really our job to see the learning and, um, and, and pull out those gems, you know, and see where, where, where we can then add on if we need to, you know. Did you find that the teacher's approach changed as they got to know the students better? As they listened, I suppose? Yeah. I feel like they definitely, you know, when we, when we got and sat down and talked to them, um, 
their their feeling around the, the warmth they felt towards their kids and and the things they learned about them they were able to take back into their classroom into their into their daily practice you know they were they were learned things that they didn't know about their kids that they were able to then connect with them in the classroom to try and get them to engage in whatever activity they were doing there so I feel like they you know and we had teachers saying because you know within a school with busy systems often classes maker spaces would be cancelled because there was a show in the hall for that day and and the kids apparently I had teachers coming and saying oh can we book in another session because the kids won't stop nagging me for going to make a space and and the teachers were desperate to go down there too because everyone would look forward to their makerspace time you know it was a time where the pressure was off you know they could and I'm pretty sure that now if I went back into that makerspace it's been running for three years now um, there wouldn't be a teacher that couldn't sit down next to a child and describe the learning that they're seeing you know and I think that really has helped with um, having learning through play in the school and, and doing sort of those learning stories and being able to pull out the the learning that they can see. You know, they've had lots of practice at that and 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 that's the pedagogical shift that needed to happen. It needed to be the child leading the learning instead of the teacher deciding what they needed to do. And that's what was really important about that was the sort of key aspect of the Aotearoa makerspace is that no one was deciding before those kids got there what was going to happen that day. It was the child going in and using their imagination and using their creative thought to create. Uh, and and that, that's scary for some teachers, you know, that's, that's the unknown. That's the sort of, they have to be vulnerable. They have to just let go of it, you know, and, and, and trust the, trust the, trust the, the space and the process, you know. How did you go about resourcing it? Because that'll be a big question people have got. Yeah, you'd be surprised with the resourcing. It was, I mean, it did take time to gather things. But once we got it out in our community that this is what we were doing and we invited people in, they would come in and see what we needed. You would, We were inundated with stuff because the things you want in Makerspace uh, are the things that people don't want in their house, like the sort of stuff that's lying around in the garage or the extra, you know, utensils in the drawer that you'd never use or the old stereo or um, the TV that got broken with a cricket ball, like whatever, we would take anything. And um, we had builders on call that would drop off buckets full of, you know, off cuts of wood. We had parents who were plumbers who would source pipes for us. We had mechanic parents who would drop off bolts and nuts and spare tools. Um, we, re we were really lucky at our school. We had a very involved community uh, who really wanted to support what the school was doing. Um, but even when you know we would go out, when we would go out to the community and go to the plumbing stores or go to the junk store at the dump, they would just give you stuff because it's for school and, it, and they they want to support local schools. You know, they want to support children they want to and when you tell them the story when you tell them what you're doing they're like wow that's cool here take the stuff you know so um probably the most biggest expense was glue hot glue gun sticks was probably our biggest expense you know i would say those would get chewed through pretty quickly um but yeah i mean most of it was donated all the sewing machines were donated uh 
all the computers we used for the 3D printing and the coding were just sort of repurposed from other parts of the school and pulled together. Uh, all the craft stuff just was sourced from around the school. Um, but yeah, it was an ongoing job. It was quite, it was time consuming. Um, it's just like collecting any loose parts for your classroom that, that you do need to give yourself time to do that. I was really lucky uh, to have those teacher aid type people, the sort of um, lab people in there that were sort of supported that. And they would often be the ones out in the community asking for things. Um, yeah, it was, it was ongoing, but it was, it wasn't a huge expense. You know, there are some certain things you might need to buy like um, electronics kits and stuff, but you know, if you've got the message right and you've got the reason why, and and you can share a story like this or uh, share how important it is for kids to have this environment in their in their life then and there's not going to be many boards that wouldn't want that in their school you know or many um, people that wouldn't want to support that so you brought up board and as soon as anyone mentions a board or a senior leadership they think about data and being accountable what was the school's position or what did they see in makerspace around that question they saw happy children and happy staff and i think we were really lucky with our board that they were very connected to what was happening in our school they were very on board with uh what was happening and i talked a lot with them i was lucky enough to be on the board as the staff sort of rep so i got that that was sort of strategic on my point to sort of get in there so i could share my vision on where I think sh things should go. They, they could see that they could see the learning that was happening in that space. They could see the success that students were having. And I shared with them all the data from the action, action research we did. I shared with them the wellbeing surveys we did. I shared with them the video stories that we did with the kids. Uh, they were, and we used Facebook to sort of promote it. They were on there so that they were seeing all of this stuff. They were seeing the stuff come home with the kids, the, the children sharing it and writing about it in their classrooms. Um, right, so I'm hearing there that you, you broaden the lens through which evaluation happens. Yeah. So it shifted, you know, most of the lens really that boards look at data and is through the reading, writing, math stuff. Yeah but you gave them a wider lens than that. Yeah, and I think it's just about educating people about what learning really is. You know, I think that the the shift in education is around shifting that lens to look more holistically at the child. And I think that's where we were, that's where the missing link was, is that we weren't looking at the whole child and what they could do. We were just looking at three aspects of what a child could do. We weren't looking at their creativeness and, and you know we need to set the, these students up for being able to problem solve and, and be collaborative and think, think critically and we weren't setting them up for that we were actually failing them and so providing a space like this was allowing them to show those things those those universal learning areas that they need to show you know we're preparing them we needed to set them up with those those social skills which they they were able to gather they were able to gain in the makerspace they were able to become more confident uh, and especially for those students that had never felt success at school those kids that 
were slipping between the cracks and sure they were in all sorts of target groups and had teacher aids with them and those kids were the ones that I mean those are the ones that the board are always really interested in but they were the ones that were shining so bright because they were the ones that were having so much success and talking about it loudly because they were loving school they were coming to school and you know my vision was that the makerspace would filter down into classrooms and when I started off on the journey I wanted makerspace to be in classrooms I didn't really want it to be like a place you went because then it would seem more like it had to, they had to make a product I wanted it to be really integrated with the learning that was happening in the class so it's for example like if a student was learning about the solar system in their reading group then they could and they wanted to make the solar system then they could go to the makerspace in their class and make the solar system you know and that sort of space has been stripped out of New Zealand classrooms I mean I'm sure there are many classrooms that have that that, that facility but there are many that don't you know um, and I wanted that for the kids because that's what learning is you know applying practical knowledge and being able to create with your hands and and work with other people and solve problems that's what learning is you know it's not just reading it in a book and then writing a response in your other book you know mm. um, yeah I mean one of the things I guess that you know when you try and emphasize learning and learner agency and all that kind of stuff you know people think that you're saying that the reading writing and maths isn't important but you're not saying that at all. But what you're saying, I guess, is that a lot gets sacrificed if the only thing that's important is reading, writing, and maths. Right? Definitely. Yeah. It's where the emphasis lies. And, and yeah, I think the biggest shift was just switching that mindset of the teachers to be looking looking past that and, and finding, finding the, that learning in the projects the kids were doing. And especially yeah. our older students and our year six students who were, who were working on projects in the makerspace, taking them back to class, researching, talking to people. They were creating things that were solving problems within our school or our community. And the teacher was like, wow, I actually have been able to source all the things I need for them and support them with their reading and their, and their writing their letters or whatever they were doing. And they, and they were like, you know, this is actually changing the way I'm teaching because the kid, the child is, is leading the learning, you know? Yeah. So if anyone's interested in exploring maker and the type of approach that you took, what sort of tips or suggestions would you have for them? I think just, um, we need a space. You need a space to, to, to have make a happening, but it can be, like I say, in classrooms. Um, I think to change, depending on your school, I think to change the pedagogy of, of, of people or to, to get the real understanding, you need a space where everyone gets to go there. You know, it can't be, um, it needs to be a place where everyone gets a chance to experience it and, and teachers and students. Um, and I guess your probably biggest people you need to convince will be your staff. And so the first thing we did was set up the makerspace uh, and then got the staff in there to play in the makerspace. So gave them the uh, experience that we wanted the students to have and they loved it, you know, and they could see firsthand from themselves. So getting your staff uh, to understand the importance of maker and um, 
there's some great resources out there. There's a, a, an article called Makerspace Playbook, which I found really helpful. Um, and yeah, I've also got a report that I've written about the my journey and, and got resources in there. I'm happy to support people online if they've got questions, but I think just having the space, talking to your community about resourcing, um, exposing the teachers to it and, and getting kids in there and just trying it, you know, uh, there's a lot of learning to happen. There's a lot of trial and error, but you, you can, there's a lot, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and you can't really go wrong. You just need, you need some stuff and then you can, you need the kids and you need the people. You need the people there and then it will happen. That's great. Are there any final thoughts that you want to offer, Rob, before we wrap it up? I think just start small, give it a go. Uh, and really think, you know, I think if you, even if you just start with a small group of students and explore it in your own space, you know, if you're not prepared to put it out to the bigger, bigger school or, um, and just see what happens, you know, and allow yourself that time to observe and listen and sit next to the students and make with them or play with them. I think that you will, you won't need any other research or resources to understand if you can provide them some loose parts and some um, making equipment, then the, the child will, will show you the way, you know, you won't need anything else and it, that will be the selling point, I, I hope you know, because kids are born to create and, and make and play and work with each other. And, um, and I mean, we all, we all love to play. And so that's just the essence of it. You know, you just need to um, give them a chance to show you what they can do, you know, trust them to be amazing. And I think that's the beauty of your approach as well, is that because it's not about the final product at the end of the day, it's about the connections and the relationships between people. Well, you know, most people are experts at that. So, you know, it's accessible for anyone. Yeah, totally. Well, well thanks, Rob. That was really awesome to hear your story. Um, are you happy for me to put your contact details at the end of the newsletter if people want to get in touch with you? Yeah, that'd be great. Yep, yeah. yeah, great. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Kevin. I lost track of the amount of times I heard Rob mention comfort, listening, connection, lack of pressure. And he also repeatedly referenced ideas about inclusion and partnership. So often, partnership with parents sits in the reporting and communication sphere. Use tools like Seesaw to do that. But what Rob's talking about is partnership in another way, because it's centred around learning. Everyone involved in the child has the opportunity to offer something. That's a beautiful idea, isn't it? Thanks for listening. I hope you found it interesting, and perhaps there's something you can take into your context. And remember, Rob is happy for people to get in touch, so make sure you do.